welcome to Watch Poppin' About, our family's tour through the history of pop culture and the incessant arguments that follow. I'm your host this week, Anthony, and with me are my cousins Levin, Gabe, and my uncle Steve. Today we'll be discussing the history of practical effects. Everybody, and welcome to another episode of What You Poppin' About. So today we have a super cool topic that Anthony picked. Uh, it is uh, practical effects uh, in cinema, um, and we've all seen it. You you can't miss it, especially with like movies before I don't know the '90s, um, before CGI was introduced. Um, you got, I mean, the it the topic itself is, you know, spans over like wardrobe, uh, prosthetic makeup, blood and gore. Um, you know, Lev's gonna talk about like the different ways in which they made the lightsabers in Star Wars. So uh, it is a good topic for our pop culture show because it's so ingrained in so many uh, pieces of cinema, so much uh, TV, you know, like I think about uh, Buffy the Vampire is the first that comes to mind, just the way that they made the vampires themselves. Um, so, uh, neat topic, Anthony. And and why don't you uh, give the listeners a little more insight as to why you picked this topic? I've just seen like certain scenes of it, like every now and then, and the and the time and effort it took to make each of those just astounds me. And yeah. this is mostly like. You, this is mostly like the practical effects are just, you're really cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, um, it's like uh, art in itself, you know, it's art within art, you know, and, and there's something where that practical effects do that just like animated CGI can't accomplish quite yet, especially like when CGI first came to town, uh, you know, uh, it still lacks some of the authenticity that practical effects brings to a movie. Um, and so uh, I think like, no matter how m much more, you know, advanced we get in technology, you still as like an audience member and like as a director and a production company, there's still something awesome about utilizing practical effects. Um, so Anthony, why don't you uh, why don't you give us kind of a deep dive into the history of practical effects? Um, well, practical effects and things such as it have been going on in plays for as long as plays have incorporated yeah. some element of supernatural. Totally. Stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the first time we really see it actually in actually incorporated into movies is probably A Trip to the Moon by George Millet's uh, the 1902 French film that uh, 
instead of utilizing actual sets, utilize, utilize half actual sets and half claymation to show the iconic shot of the uh, rocket flying into the moon's eye. Gamun not being very happy about it since a rocket's in his eye. They use practical effects to show a more impressive design than anything could at the time, especially with set design. And obviously, it was 1902. Special effect uh, CGI hasn't been invented yet. But the next major advancement that we see isn't till isn't till about 1927. And 1927 was the time that the art of using miniatures to show something on greater scale that would take millions and millions of dollars in set design budget. Uh, became popular in the film Metropolis, directed by Fritz Lang. Uh, at, at the time, this was the most expensive film ever made. So wow. imagine how much the budget would have been if they had actually used set design. Like, <laughs> it would have been an astronomically large, like, money divot. Like, they would have never recovered from it. Right. This has, in and miniatures have been a viable asset in set design for a very long time since. Like, like with the Star Wars movies, oh wait, no, uh, once, like, with several movies, uh, like, uh, last year, the, uh, Blade Runner 2049, the entire city of that movie is not CGI, is a combination of CGI and miniatures. Uh, it allowed them to create, and, also, Metropolis, they use this really odd mirror effect to look like it, there were people in the city. It, I don't see, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, so I don't understand how they did this, so I'm just not going to talk about that effect. <laughs> Very confusing. You know what I think about is Charlie Chaplin uh, in like those 90, 1930s, six-ish era movies there's one where um he's like roller skating in a like um a department store and so it looks like he's going to about to fall off the ledge and fall on like into like a third story warehouse but what it was is that uh they they filmed a painting of uh different floors for like uh you know depth perspective so they painted uh the floor so that it looked like he was going about to fall like three stories but they shot it in a way where like half of the camera was showing him and half of the camera was showing this painting and that that to me is really neat because they do a good job it really looks like he's about to like fall <laughs> yeah um so like with the industry continuing to grow uh and also in the 30s beginning to decline the practical effect advancements became a bit less uh a bit less interesting but still important like the wizard of oz utilized matte hay co coloring and was one of the first films to do so in its set design making it because uh it was just one wall that the characters were walking around, except the set was painted to make it look like it was a road that was going forward. Yeah. Uh, 
because obviously it was the 30s, it was Great Depression, uh, Deck was about to come their way, um, like, like, they had to utilize the little elements they had left to save a bunch of money. Uh, this has been used in a lot of iconic movies, uh, moments such as Planet of the Apes and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the head oh, explosion that Gabe yeah. doesn't like. For those who don't know, uh, Gabe hates Indiana Jones. <laughs> Very much. For some reason. Wait, why does he hate it again? The snakes? Well, it's because, like, there was this scene, there was this gruesome scene, like, where, like, there's this creepy ghost guy who, like, who, like, screams at the villains and make their, and make their faces melt off. Oh, yeah. You can literally see their faces melting. Yeah, another another practical effect. So practical effects actually yeah. ruined the movie. Yeah, just the best in the melting face scene. Yeah. All right, what were you saying, Anthony? Uh, the utilization in stop motion animate of stop motion animation, uh, particularly with Jason oh, yeah. and the Argonauts. Yeah. Uh, director directed by John Chaffee in 1963. Um, it what now? has been has is not anything new. It was first recorded back in 1898 in uh, Albert E. Smith's and J. Stewart Blackton's The Humpty Dumpty Circus, which was supposed to be like a toy shop come to life. Uh, and there has been like the, and especially in Jason and the Argonauts, like if you watch it, they do so much cool stuff like with live action footage and stop motion footage. Uh, compiled together, especially with the skeleton fight, where the stop-motion skeletons rise from the ground and the Argonauts actually fight, fight them, and it looks really real because the way they did this was the skeletons were actually to stand in for the skeletons before they put Are these the skeletons uh, you're talking about? Motion into the shot later overlay with uh, footage of the stop motion uh, skeletons to make everything look much Anthony, are the, the, are those, yeah. uh, are the, is the picture on my wallpaper the skeletons you're talking about? Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm thinking about like King Kong, right? And like the those like stop motion clay animation of like dinosaurs and stuff like that. Another, this um, isn't necessarily important yeah. to the history, but there's some things that I just found really cool. In the 19... 51 film of uh, the Ten Commandments when uh, they part the Red Sea. They did yeah, this very uniquely by interlaying two shots. One of them filling up a water trough and they just reversed that to make it look like it was parting. And two walls of water held up by glass. Oh, wow. Is that what you were going to say, Lev? Nice. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Nice. But with the Jason and the Argonauts blending of stop motion in real life, uh, a lot of movies has done this, such as the seventh voyage of Sinbad, one million years BC, and Clash of Titans. Uh, you can see similar scenes like this in Tim Burton's Beetlejuice, step out of their house, and, and they're 
by a very unhappy sandworm. But apparently it took them like four and a half months to just film the skeletons. And sometimes they would only get a half of a second done each day of filming. And it would take like forever. But uh, when we come to the 70s with Jaws, something even more interesting is invented. Mm. The use of animatronics for... uh, animatronics for movies um and they and spielberg decided to use this technique to make everything look more real like it wouldn't be stop motion because that would be too obvious and uh and he couldn't like and he wanted to make something very impressive he used the help of bod maddie who'd created the giant squid in 20,000 leagues under the sea to come out of his retirement and help him make the animatronic Jaws. Uh, they had to experience multiple problems with the shark either falling to the bottom of the water, uh, shorting out because of water. So the original plan for a 55 day shoot ended up taking 159 days, which I don't know if you know, is a lot more than 155 days. And That's the same year as here's where we get grow? to, uh, and the That's late seventies is where That's I think the late seventies and early eighties is where I think we really get to um, create creative atrocities, creative atrocities in the practical effects department uh, is what I'm going to call them, such as the werewolf tra- transformation scene in an American uh, wolf, an American werewolf goes to London. Yeah. Now this scene is very visually impressive and very sick and very disgusting since it's a man being like slowly warped into a beast. Mm-hmm. And so to make the hair grow, they actually uh they actually uh reverse footage of hair being pulled through a prosthetic uh suit and uh like they had all these tools like move out and slowly like a uh, sh- stretchy rubber glove to move out and create like long claw like hands if you haven't seen the scene you should it's very visually impressive and so now we start using like makeup and prosthetics to create some america's uh things like evil dead 2 and the fly which came into a fly I think, and all so many things to create such visually impressive and truly terrifying things. Uh, and uh, this is also shown in uh, Jurassic Park, which also utilizes like all this puppetry and and like prosthetics and some CG and just a man in a suit chasing kids, which honestly feels more terrifying than a raptor chasing kids. <laughs> and people are spending millions and millions of dollars into using practical effects, like Waterworld, which uh, had a $175 million budget and didn't do as well. So it was a calculated risk, sorta. But they're doing, like, 
practical effects look so amazing and everybody's do and all these people are doing it to make it look like realistic since honestly most CGI effects weren't really realistic. Rings trilogy, which used a lot of unique uh used a lot of unique camera work as in giving the hobbits oversized props and giving uh giving Gandalf small props and they filmed it so that making Gandalf look a lot taller than he actually was and everything is just slowly advancing like Star Wars which Lev is going to talk about and well now a lot of films are still using are now using CG there are still some notable films that do utilize this uh, practical effects such as the, uh, such as The Shape of Water and films like that like that actually have legitimate like like people in a suit like who actually use like this amazing awesome costume work and I just think practical effects are really cool yeah no 100% good uh good synopsis good abridged history of that because you know as you were talking i was thinking of like oh yeah that is also a practical effect oh yeah that is also a practical <laughs> effect so again kind of what i was saying at the top of the show it's just like this topic spans so many categories like you mentioned jurassic park with the with the animatronic uh, dinosaurs you mentioned gandalf like just making it seem like he's uh, higher than he you know taller than he is and uh it's it's just neat it, i don't think it'll ever die you know like I, I don't think practical effects will ever die i think especially in the 90s and early 2000s they we were so gi and we still are to this day but um I think, especially in like the 2010s, we really like brought practical effects back in to like kind of be more good year, bro. CGI. Uh, it was a good year, yeah. And yeah, like uh, you know what it was good about 2010? Like, tell us. Like the shows, like on on Cartoon Network on 20 like <laughs> 2006 to 2013, like. Got it. They were like good shows, Annoying Orange, Adventure Time, sure. uh, The Amazing World of Dumbo, Regular Show, uh, Ninjago. Anthony, anything else on the history of practical effects? There was a lot more, but again, totally. Yeah, yes. So let's move on to a specific example because I think Lev's going to talk about Star Wars, um, which is a perfect uh, example of just pioneers in, in the practical effects sense uh, that has like uh, stood the test of time and and evolved in its own right and and uh, you know not only the 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 you know costume designs but the sound you know the the idea that like a lot of those sets were painted especially like in the death star um and so lev why don't you give us some some tidbits about star wars practical effects all right so 
Um, for those of you who don't know, Star Wars is a space opera. And that was yeah. made. Wait, Lev, you got to talk louder or get closer to the mic. Okay. Okay. So, I, for those who don't know, uh, Star Wars is like this, like, basically story that's told in space. Hence, the star. <laughs> Good. But, <laughs> Good uh, synopsis. I'm not yeah. going to go all into the story because it gets kind of complicated. No, please don't. So, but it, it's this story that takes place in space. And so it was made in the 1970s. And so they didn't have, like, it's like, I think one of the biggest tasks was how do I turn this, like, story with, like, laser sword, or, like, lightsabers, like, Blasters, Jedi, yeah, like Jedi's, and like spaceships, yeah, that like, and like giant space battles, and so, um, and so, one of the ways, and so, they had green screens back then, but it wasn't like perfect. It like wasn't like. Yeah, didn't they use blue screens instead? Yeah, so yeah. Into, so George Lucas preferred um, this effect called the Schaffen. Um, yeah, Schuftan effect or Schuftan yeah. effect. Schuftan yeah. effect, I don't know how to pronounce yeah. it. Um, but it's basically where you use real sets, like real made-out sets with made, like... Um, to put your actors instead mm. of a green screen, instead of just green screens, which later, of course, in the prequels, like during like the more complicated scenes with like the battle on Mustafar, where like Anakin and Obi Wan are doing lightsaber battles on the this, um, like this like lava planet. You're not going right. to be able to do that. So, um, but I'm ta- I'm focusing on the originals right now. So, um. And so, yeah, they, he used um, mainly uh, like sets when he, ha- when he could. And so then there's the like thing, how do I get um, like the space battles? Like how, do, like how does he do like the space battles with yeah. like the, techno- the limited technology? So from like the pictures that I've seen and the uh, like videos and uh, articles, um, it looks like in the space battles, they they used like a blue screen, mm-hmm. um, and they had like these figures of like X wings and like the depths or like I don't know about the depths. Yeah, the Empire's battleships or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, like Tie fighters. They kind of like use the camera as different angles to kind of like make it out so that like totally. um and so yeah they just had like camera angles to look like these ships were actually firing or, like fighting each other and of course like he added like the blaster fire later um and so and then like side note or not really a side note like a totally kind of different topic one of like the most like famous things in star wars is the lightsabers mm-hmm and, and so, it took them. It took them forever to figure out the lightsaber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, in the originals, in the original trilogy, it looks they you they had like a wooden the kind of they had the hilt mm-hmm. like as the movie prop. It looked basically the same. And so then for the blade, 
which was like the real challenge. They had like a, a wood kind of pike or not pike, but like yeah. blade. And they wrapped it around with movie film or like movie, like the thing that's made movie screens are made yeah. out of to give it that kind of like reflective material. And so they would, they would use that as the lightsaber. And so um, to get and then add the color in later, but that's so crazy to me because like when when we the audience perceive like lightsabers they are heavy right they are heavy they are metallic they actually it's supposed to be a light but never mind that's just mine but heavier than wood you know what i'm saying like they they are these like essentially the actors are using sticks like you were saying but to us it's a little bit more like think about any like toy that you have of like a, a star wars weapon or lightsaber like that's not what it felt like on set. And so I think that's another cool piece of practical effects is that you, the viewer, think it think it's something completely different than what it actually is. Yeah. So yeah. and so these these lightsabers in the original trilogy were very fragile. And so <laughs> in the first in the first uh in the first uh lightsaber battle that you ever see, Obi-Wan versus Darth Vader. Like they're they're orange like kind of like bursts when like the lightsabers touch each other. That's because Alec Guinness and um, I'm blanking on the guy who played Darth Vader, not James Earl Jones, but like the yeah the the guy who was in the suit, David Prowse or something, I think. Well, whatever they they were they were actually hitting each other hard. They were like they were hitting the lightsabers hard, and so there was just basically like dust coming like poof. And that made like the kind of the orange glow. <laughs> and so um, that kind of made it like, kind of like look orange. Um, and so, yeah, these, these were fragile. And then as the prequels came over, they, the green screen evolved. So they like began using the green screen more and then the lightsaber changed. So it was still like the same hilt, but instead they had like, kind of like, plastic like wood kind of like green colored wood as the blade not wrapped around a movie film or anything and so it was like a lot less fragile but like it still popped up and so popped off yeah it would like still like pop off and so yeah and so then and the sound for the lightsaber was an accident like they were trying to figure out the perfect sound to use and they were going back and forth, back and yeah. forth. And finally, I think it was like one of the sound engineers accidentally dropped a microphone behind, you know, like a old, old TV and the, the yeah. vibration and just the sound of it. He was just like, oh my God, that's it. Like that's what Star Wars uh, lightsaber should sound like. Oh, that's and awesome. So, yeah. So that hum, that hum that you hear before they actually like, you know, put blade to blade uh -huh. is like, uh the back of a tv or or something like that it's it's a few combination of sounds but but they yeah. they came upon it just by accident which i think is so neat yeah um so and so then in the sequels they were using heavy lightsabers they were like it wasn't like these wooden pikes it was like plastic um that like glowed I think so like they glowed and so it was it was heavy and so it was hard to like kind of I think that's why like the prequels have like the most like acrobatic kind of fights yeah because like they're not super heavy and they're not like super fragile and so 
Yeah, that's an interesting. Of Star Wars feels like it's a lot based on coincidence. Yeah, like, totally. It, it feels like they had a very limited film, like with that lightsaber thing. Mm -hmm. And also, like, there's just scenes where just a soldier just hits his head on the... <laughs> yeah. We're, oh, I have, a, I have a story about that. I'm not... So, um, if... By the way, if I'm wrong on one of these and if, like, someone's watching this who's, like, a hardcore Star Wars fan, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, calm down. If, any, if anybody is uh, offended by any of this. If I get something wrong, I'm okay. sorry. okay. No, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> but so I remember I, we own like this like Star Wars documentary at home. And I think I remember this. I didn't like look into this. So I, I, this is what I remember. Um, in A New Hope, this was like, nobody thought it was going to be good. Like, so yeah. it had limited budget which is kind of crazy because right. you're making a film literally about space yeah. wars, like yeah. wars in space. Mm -hmm. So like, um, it, that's kind of crazy. And so, um, and so they didn't have enough money for stunt doubles. And so, you know, that scene where like Luke like grapples, the hook and the Death Star and they're trying to and Leia and him are trying to escape yeah. the um the stormtroopers and they swing across. Yep. That was a real set and that was real. Like that that, that those were not not stunt doubles. They were actually totally. swinging across a rope on That's crazy. Like a forty foot set. But kind of what you were saying about the Shuton effect or however you pronounce yeah. it. That was kind of what I was saying with the Charlie Chaplin effect is that, yes, it was a real set, but when they're in the Death Star, it looks bottomless. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when, when Luke is, uh, is hanging and, and Vader cuts off his hand and then he's hanging there and the, the famous father line comes. Yeah. It looks like he just falls down in bottomless pit, but that, is, that was shot with that like mirror uh, yeah. Shuftan painting effect. And that's, that is... Not only is it impressive to have a real live set that real actors swing across, but they combine that with these like paintings, with like these lighting effects. Um, and that's why Star Wars became so successful. Like the, the first shot, right? When you see the slow roll of the Emperor's ship, mm -hmm. that's just a model, you know what I mean? But yeah. they shot it in a way that it just like looks so impressive. And it's because those production artists took the time to like, be really well detailed and all of their like figures and their models and, and, and stuff like that, that uh, it's, it's really just like a huge milestone in, in cinema history, honestly. Um, yeah. And so when like they told the actors like Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill that they had to do that and Mark Hamill was like, no, that's too dangerous. And then like the stunt guy or like the guy, one of the guys is like, no, it's not dangerous. It's just like, <laughs> And so he lied <laughs> about it being dangerous. <laughs> so they just do the do the scene. That reminds me of a story I heard about uh, Burt Reynolds, who was in uh, uh, what's it called? Burt Reynolds <clears throat> Deliverance. When Burt Reynolds was in Deliverance, he was there was a shot where his character goes over a, a waterfall in a canoe, and so the director wanted 
the stunt double to do it. But Burt Reynolds was just like, no, I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to do it. And so finally the director got so tired. They're like, fine, Bert, but like no one's going to be able to tell that it's you. And we don't want you going over a waterfall and getting hurt. And he was just like, no, I want to do it. So then he goes up in the canoe. He goes over the waterfall. He dives in. He, he, he luckily survives. He gets out of the water and he asks the director, he's like, so how did, how did the shot look? And the director was like, it looked, it looked like you were like a dummy. Like it looked like you were just like a mannequin in a canoe. Like you didn't have to do that. <laughs> you know, like we could have just had a stunt double do it. Like this, remi this reminds me of several instances I've heard in like horror movies where the directors to get a more real feel just didn't tell the actors there was a jump scare going. So there was just like, Pennywise would just jump out and he's like, hi kids, and the kids would actually scream out of yeah. genuine panic. <laughs> I love that. Bill Skarsgård, um, who plays Pennywise in the new one, or played Pennywise in the new ones, um, actually was dressed up as Pennywise. And so the first day, um, the guy, the kid who played Eddie, I can't remember his name for some reason. Yeah. Um, no, I know who you're talking about there. Um, like, <laughs> he was, they were doing like the scene where like, Pennywise is about to eat Eddie, um, but like the losers come in and save him, like in the where, in the first one, and so like Bill Skarsgård's like playing with him and like about to act ah and like about to eat him, and then um, like the kids like crying and stuff, and he's like crying, and then like the and like inside Bill Skarsgård is like oh my god I'm like traumatized totally. this kid, and then yeah. um. <laughs> And so then um, the, the director screams cut. And then like right after uh, the, the kid who plays that is just like, great job, man. Love what you're doing with the character. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, uh, really fine. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of practical effects, like uh, Skarsgård, his ability to manipulate his eyes just naturally oh, yeah. added to his Pennywise character. Cause when they realized that he could like, cross his eyes in different directions they're like oh we we totally need to use that so back to yeah back to star wars star wars uh things so speaking of when we were like talking about like Ewan mcgregor and hayden christensen like fighting our anakin and obi-wan uh fighting in like the lava planet they were on a green screen but like they're actual like platforms that were like green screen material but like there are platforms and stuff that they were like fighting on and that the scene isn't speed is sped up they're actually going that fast mm -hmm. like if you look at like the like the behind the scenes yeah they are actually like moving that fast and like doing like the like doing a lightsaber fight choreographed that fast which yeah I totally i feel crazy. like in the prequels they were focused less on practical effects and more on the the CGI technology yeah. and the acrobatics because lightsaber fights in the, in the originals weren't as impressive as the lightsaber fights in the prequels because all the Jedi were old, like Luke and like Luke's like this new learner. Right. Right. Like, um, not totally in his prime yet. And like all the Jedi and like, like Obi-Wan and like, Obi-Wan's out of his prime and like, I mean, like Darth Vader is probably like in his prime still, but like, yeah. it's just, they didn't have like the technology to do it. 
Totally. And if they tried to, like the lightsabers would have broke. So, um, and also in the ca- cantina scene, um, those were like most of those were masks. Totally, and yeah. and um, they a lot of uh, that that reminds me of Lord of the Rings um, with the orc masks. Like oh, yeah. a lot of that makeup, a lot of the time, it is so hot for the actors. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. so painful. So, in, on Tatooine, they were in like a desert in Africa, I think. I can't remember which one. Um, yeah. But Anthony Daniels was like, had to take off his mask. Totally. Because it was like so freaking hot. And he had to see, like, do the scenes without his mask. And then, like, George, like, George, George. Um, the, put it in later. But the original uh, Ninja Turtles, like in the live action original movies, those are just like rubber suits. And so they don't breathe. So it, it like, I, I remember going to a Comic-Con convention in New York and somebody had made a cosplay based on those original turtles and yeah. they could only take photos with people for five minutes at a time because they would have to take breaks where they would take their rubber mask off and just be dying in sweat. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so the canteen, the canteen is a good, the cantina uh, example that you just brought up is a good uh, example of practical effects. Cause like, the, that scene was so impressive because they they look like real creatures in a sense. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> but um, uh, yeah. In the Adat. Um, oh yeah. The Adat scenes, they were like miniature figures, mm-hmm. along with like lots of the ships. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, they would. Side is just impressive. Well, totally. Yeah, so they would be miniature figures, and they'd be stop motion. Um, in like a blue screen or like a model, kind of like a miniature model. Um, and like made to look bigger. But um, so. Um, and Yoda, Yoda himself oh, was yeah, a puppet. Yoda was a puppet. Like yeah. how, like Yoda or like, and then in like the prequels, they like redid him to be CGI. Um, at least in like the second and third one, but like, Yoda, Yoda was a puppet, and he still, like, looked, and, uh-huh. like, thanks to Frank Oz, who we talked about in the Muppets episode. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Frank, yeah, Frank Oz, and, like, they had, on Dagobah, they had, like, real snakes and stuff, like, and so there's a funny video of, like, a snake biting Mark Hamill. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And he's like, ow! And he's like, yeah. it was a little love bite. <laughs> <And he's> like, <laughs> um but yeah, and so, um, and then in the in the uh, trilogies, you know, like the, the the newest ones, they bring back a lot of those practical uh, effects. Like they still have CGI. Like who's the orange lady with the big eyes? Maz Kanata. Yeah, like she's still CGI, but they bring back a lot of like background characters that have that like natural feel. And there's something about like it's it's crazy that even with Yoda, who was just this puppet how much emotion they were able to convey. Just again, to, to your to your point. Yeah, Force Ghost Yoda to, in Last Jedi was a puppet also. Yeah, uh, credit to Frank Oz for that. But yeah. but now they, they knew how to marry it with the CGI. Yeah, um, and so... Uh, in the Solo films, you know that like alien who's keeping uh, Solo captive? 
Yeah. As like a slave. That was like a puppet. And I just think that's really impressive. That totally. Oh yeah, Chewbacca. Um, yeah, Chewbacca himself. Mayhew walked into the audition. He's like, he was huge. Yeah. And um, Peter Mayhew walked in and then like George Lucas stood up and um, George Lucas shook his hand. George shook George's hand and George was like, yeah, I think we found our guy. <laughs> and so Chewbacca was actually like in like this like fursuit um, and he was like, yeah, he was like, Peter Mayhew was huge. And so, oh yeah. And Starkiller base was also like the part where like Ray and Kylo are fighting. That was, that was a real um, scene or the set. That was a real set. And they were Wait, like, which one, which one? The one where they're fighting in like the forest on like, oh, yeah. um, yeah. Starkiller Base and like the planet's about to blow up and stuff. Um, you know what I was thinking of when Ray and uh, Kylo were fighting the like those red guards, you know, oh, before yeah. they, spoiler alert, killed uh, Snook, uh, yeah. Snoke, yeah. Uh, before they killed Snoke. Um, those red stormtroopers, like those red guards, yeah, like that's another example of when practical effects are just like you don't see those guards too often but that is such powerful imagery because of how much red they use like how much crimson red they used on set uh and i always thought that was that was powerful i mean to me and to everyone like nostalgia uh you have so much nostalgia for the imagery that you experience as like a young kid and throughout life but especially as kids like uh, things are scary because of the shadows and the, 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 how loud the sound is and, and how uh, much it conveys. And when, when you can successfully do that as like a, a production company, you know, it, it's, it, it's really powerful on all yeah. of us. Yeah. yeah, Star Wars is just loaded with practical effects. I mean, we could yeah, do a whole episode on that, yeah. But again, it's just like the lightsabers that they invented, the 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 spaceship uh models that they created the puppets that they used and and they used puppets with fur puppets that were like heavily rubber pupper puppets were like appendages like eyes were like yeah. five feet away from the head like the Darth um, Vader suit and like the stormtrooper suit and like I mean could you imagine being in the C3PO outfit it's it would be like so uncomfortable. You would die. <laughs> Darth Vader, like... Imagine like, you have to like, around like... Eh, da, da. Yeah. And, and you know, what? what's the actor's name? Anthony... Daniels, right? Daniels. And Anthony Daniels probably used that to fuel his character of C-3PO. You know what I mean? Like, the suit only allowed him so many movements, and so yeah, he like used that. And, like, he was also, like, hot and, like, uncomfortable all the time to make it, like, easy to be cranky and stuff. Totally, yeah. And uptight, because his movement was, like, very restrictive. Yeah. Uh, uh, cool. Anything yeah. else on Star Wars? Uh, no, I think we're all good. So I wanted to talk about a little bit about Tom Savini. I had showed you guys a, a little video of him giving a tour through his studio. But Tom Savini is a, a special effects artist. 
um, and did a lot of, does a lot of gore. You know, he's an actor, he's a writer, but but he's also known for uh, his special met, uh, effects like prosthetic makeup. Um, and so this kind of goes back to what Anthony was saying about the 80s of just all of this like gore and horror, which was huge back then, you know, like Friday the 13th, um, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, like how many practical effects they used back then to scare people in these horror movies and how, how powerful uh, that is. There's um, like, uh, really cool examples of practical effects I found in some horror movies. Like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, there's a kill after Freddy attacks this guy, dude in a dream, mm -hmm. like he gets sucked into his bed and just a yeah. bloody mess, mess squirts out. And you can, and it was made because, uh, and they did this because it was an upside down room and they poured a bucket of blood through a hole in the bed, a yep. bucket of fake blood. And you can actually tell it because it seems like all the fake blood just sloshes to one side of the room. Do you know who- to one side of the ceiling. Do you know who played that boy that got sucked into his bin? Who? Johnny Depp. I do Johnny, not. <laughs> Johnny Depp was that kid who got sucked in. Sucked in what? Uh, so the scene that Anthony's describing is he goes to bed and that's when Freddy Krueger can get you. And you see Freddy's arms grab the kid through the bed and suck him into the bed. And then a bunch of blood explodes onto what? the ceiling. But what Anthony was saying is that they flipped, it was like an upside down set. And so all they did was dump the blood down, but it looks like it's being poured up, uh, which was terrifying when you watch that as a kid. Um, but yeah, Tom, Tom Savini, he's known for, you know, uh, effects that he's done with like Dawn of the Dead. Uh, he, he was like, uh, one of the creators for, uh, Jason Voorhees of Friday the 13th. Um, and so he, he actually has his own school, um, uh, for special effects, but he is also known for his groundbreaking work in The Exorcist. But The Exorcist was terrifying, uh, especially to me as a kid who like grew up as this little Catholic boy, because this- tells you. Yep, exactly. And so you turn this little girl into this scary, scary devil demon who is, and all she's doing is like laying in that bed, but the practical effects that they use of like her spinning her head around, or her like puking up what was like pea soup, you know, has uh, ingrained in my head and instilled all of this just like uh, powerful imagery that Tom Savini, you know, had a had a huge uh, play in. Um. So that's kind of like I don't know uh, Tom Savini. I don't know if he did it or not. Probably not. No, um, I don't think so. No. But um, um, like still, I remember in like seventh grade. Um, when like the new it commercial was coming out or like commercial trailer was coming out and um it was like so like and so my dad was like talking about like the 19 like 70s or like 1980s but so basically it was just like he showed me pictures of like pen, the old like tim curry's pennywise and i was like so yeah. out and we we're like it was my birthday and so we were going out to get like ice cream and then i was just like looking at no, it was lee's birthday and like I was just like looking around the sewers, and I was just like, uh, um, and I was like super paranoid around sewers for like all of middle school. 
<laughs> yep, exactly. And my dad once did a prank on me. We were walking the dog and we were near a sewer and then like he put his leg in the sewer and he's like, oh my God. <laughs> nice. But um, yeah, so, so Savini, you know, he has the signature style and techniques that just add vivid realism to, to movies. Um, and he was, he, he earned the nickname the Sultan of Splatter uh, for some of his films like The Burning and The Prowler where he perfected uh, blood and gore, uh, that, that technique, which, which is, it's hard to showcase blood on screen. And actually it reminds me of when I was in high school, when I was in a production of Macbeth, there is a technique to use blood on stage where, that involved uh, soap. So you would mix like soap and like red uh, food dye together. But if you added too much soap, what had happened was one of the, one of the actors brought the, the head on stage in one of the famous scenes. And you see all of this like fake blood dripping, but because they used too much soap, uh, all of these bubbles also came with it. So as he's holding this like head in the air during Macbeth and blood, red blood is dripping down. Also, all of these bubbles were just like surrounding the actor. And it was amazing. It was an amazing blooper. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, another really weird practical effect I found out is that um, to uh, make the water opaque for like certain scenes in movies, mm -hmm. uh, they, use, they just filled it with milk. Oh, interesting. I like that. I like that. Which I feel like is an incredibly unpleasant experience to just have to swim through a pool of milk like your Lucky Charms. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just wanted to call out like uh, Tom Savini's work and and uh, from a high level standpoint and just the idea of like, yeah, sci-fi is really good with practical effects, but horror is a huge genre that uses all of these, uh, especially like I'm thinking of like the fly, you know, with uh, Jeff Goldblum where the, the scientist turns into an actual fly. It, it, it's just real powerful imagery that stays with you, you know, throughout your entire life. Uh, Gabriel, why don't we go on to your segment, finally. Okay, so what we're gonna talk about is it like annoying orange, like and then, and then like we talk about mad, and so like they, these these shows, the these shows were the rares to find on Cartoon Network. So annoying orange is like a show made in two thousand and nine. So. Why don't you talk about more of the um, practical effects? Like, yeah, doesn't how... Annoying Orange use an actual orange? Like yeah, they root. take like orange and like fruits and vegetables yeah. and put faces on them. And then there's like another guy on set. So why don't you talk about that? You know what makes it like a practical effect? Like they get like, there are scenes where Annoying Orange, Annoying Orange shouts knife and all the food get cut up and and also did you know the fruits also blame it on like the knife but it just turns out it's just the human using the knife oh it's a layered story mm-hmm like it 
it got canceled in twenty third in twenty fourteen, but they still making but they're still making episodes but not on Cartoon Network. Like they're making episodes like like they're making like YouTube videos now. Actually, yeah, I think YouTube I think it started as YouTube videos. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Um, what else about Mad? Well, Mad is like a show made in like nineteen fifty, in ni- like nineteen fifty, in the nineteen fifties, and so. Yeah, it became like started out as a magazine, but in 2010 it became like a TV show, like a show, literally. Did they use practical effects there? Can you? Not really. They used CGI. <laughs> a lot of CGI. Okay. <laughs> and what did you like about Mad? I don't know. I like Annoying Orange and Mad because they're like they were the rarest to find on Cartoon Network. Gotcha. I mean, I know they had to cancel but Annoying Orange, but why mad? Why mad? Yeah, I think it's safe to say Gabe loves Cartoon Network. Um, okay. Good to know. Um, Anthony, before we wrap up this episode, again, good topic. You know, like, like you were saying, practical effects started with just, like, plays, right? And, like, and we did you know an episode on lion king broadway and that had a lot of practical effects too that that lev talked about um but then you know going into the early you know 1900 movies uh and then uh just evolving decade after decade to the point where we get space operas we get scary movies uh we we get to add you know um fantastical whimsical ideas but make them look realistic using different uh, film techniques. Uh, And it's really such a staple and important piece of pop culture uh, that, uh, you know, will continue on year after year. Thank you for joining us today on What You Poppin' About. If you like this podcast, please tell your friends, subscribe and write a review. This background music is brought is from our pal Brad Camp at Second Bedroom Studio. I mean, why did they... I know they, there's a reason why they had to take off Annoying Orange, but why did they have to take off Mad? I, have, I l- legit have no idea.